Welcome to the Free Chapel Podcast. Let's get into this week's message. I'm going to bring a message this morning on communication. If you have your Bibles or your phones, your iPads, however you read the Bible there, Proverbs 18, we're going to begin with verse 20. This afternoon at 4 o'clock, I'll be here, and I'm talking about building financial intimacy and partnership in your marriage. Now, money can be a great blessing, can also be a great curse. For many people, money is the reason they divorce, and money is also a reason that they have tremendous fights and conflicts uh, in their marriage. This is one of the worst areas for my wife and me uh, when we got married. It was terrible. We, we just fought about money all the time. And some people have money problems because they don't have enough. We were broke. We lived in government housing. And I'm going to tell the stories tonight about how the Lord set us free from, literally free from poverty. Some people have problems because you don't have enough. You're having a hard time making ends meet. You're living under financial stress, maybe debt or whatever. Some people, the lack of money really isn't the problem. It's just they, they don't know how to talk about it. They don't know how to manage their money together. And some of the worst situations I've seen are actually people with the most money. So whatever your money issues are, I can tell you, we're, I'm going to talk about it very frankly, very real about what we're going to talk about tonight. But I want to tell you the, our story of how the Lord blessed us and set us free to, from being the worst area of our marriage, one of the worst areas, to being now a great blessing in our relationship. My wife Karen and I will celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary, May the 11th. And so we... Because of a wonderful wife and a wonderful Lord, we made it this far. But we have a great blessing today, and I want to share that with you. You may know some people, friends or family members, neighbors, people that you work with or something, and they're having a struggle in their marriage, maybe in their finances. Listen to me. I will say some things in this message tonight that will save some marriages. Absolutely. I've done this message all over the world. I'm telling you, it will save some marriages. And for some of you, may not save your marriage, but it will make your marriage much better for the rest of your life. Very practical information. I want to share about what the Lord did in our relationship, and he'll do it for you too. So that's this afternoon at four o'clock. This message is called Successful Communication in Marriage. I want to talk to you about this is the most important issue in marriage because it transcends every area of marriage. We need to be talking about everything in our marriage. 86% of people who divorce say that they had deficient communication in their marriage. Proverbs 18, it says, a man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips, he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The next verse is interesting. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Now, I think it's, I think it's God that the verse says, the power of life and death is in our mouth, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And the next verse says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. I know that this uh, scripture is true when it says the power of life and death is in our mouth because I killed my wife with my mouth. For the first three years of our marriage, I was a horrible husband. I got saved a week before we got married. She actually told me a week before we got married that, that she would marry me. I got saved the week before we got married. I was dominant. I was verbally abusive. I wasn't always verbally abusive, but when I got angry, I would say things toward her that were just horrible. And uh, when the Lord saved our marriage and when I changed, I repented to Karen one night, and I'll tell you that story here in just a little bit. I repented to Karen one night, and when I repented to her, for the first, I'd never said I was sorry one time in all of our marriage. And I went to her and I said, Karen, I'm sorry for everything I've done. She said, your mouth has killed me, Jimmy. 
I'll never forget that moment. Your mouth has killed me. The, the most damage I did was with my mouth. Our, our words have disproportionate influence over the rest of our lives. You can kill. The power of death is right here. The power of life is right here. The bad news is I killed my wife with my mouth. The good news is the same mouth that killed her brought her back to life again. And so we've all made mistakes in the area of communication. We've all made mistakes in the things we've said. But the Lord will forgive us our mistakes and our spouse will too, but we need to learn how to use our words properly. And here's what I say to people, and that is the Lord wants to use your mouth to bless your spouse and other people. The devil wants to use your mouth to kill. And you decide who's gonna use your mouth. And the devil used my mouth for too long, did a lot of devastation with it. But praise the Lord for all he's done in our marriage and through our ministry to help people to learn the power of their words. I wanna talk about, first of all, and talking about communication in marriage, I wanna talk, first of all, about why we talk. We, we talk for different reasons. And there are six basic levels of communication in marriage. The first is basic information. This is the easiest. It's dinner is ready. Honey, I'm home. The kids are on the roof again. Basic stuff, everyday kind of stuff. Nothing fancy. The second is partnership. We, we communicate because we're partners. We need to meet each other's needs in our partnership. We need to talk about finances, children, the different areas that we partner in our relationship. I'm gonna come back to that in just a second. We also communicate to resolve conflict. Um, if you have a good marriage, you're gonna have some conflict in your marriage. Uh, having a good marriage doesn't mean that you never have conflict. It means you're able to resolve your conflicts. And in a part of this message in a little bit, I'm gonna talk to you about conflict resolution. So as long as you can resolve your conflicts, that's great. We also communicate to connect. Connection is the fourth basic reason that we communicate. This is huge. This is a huge area of communication. I'm trying to mentally, emotionally connect with you. Research has proven that when the average couple will sit face-to-face -face for an hour over a meal, they'll connect over 100 times. This is talking about a healthy marriage. A look, a smile, a word, a response, a laugh, a touch, whatever it is. Communication or connection is a huge area here. And by the way, Facebook is the cause of 25% of couples to fight every week. If you're representative of the, the you know, just everybody else, that means a quarter of you have fought this week about Facebook. Social media is the cause of one out of seven spouses to consider divorce. Now think about that for just a minute. The technology has had a devastating effect on marriages. I, I do an entire message called virtual marriage about technology and relationships. It has had a devastating effect on relationships. And I'm not a grouchy old man who's against technology. I believe that technology is neutral. But the reason that we fight about technology and social media is I'm trying to connect with you and you're connected to the universe. I'm trying to make a connection here and you're, you're online with all of your 4,000 friends. And so it's, it's frustrating when you're trying to connect. So connection's a big deal here. Number five reason we communicate is personal information. I wanna tell you some things I'm thinking. I wanna tell you about some thoughts and some dreams and some hurts and some feelings that I've been having. Big deal that we're able to do this. The sixth level of communication is intimate communication. I wanna tell you how much I love you. I wanna tell you how much I think you're the most wonderful person in the world and how glad I am that we got married and all those things like that. That's the deepest level of communication. So if communication is working in our relationship, it means that we're able to do all six of those things. But when we get hung up on one of those areas, 
it affects all the others. Let me go back to partnership for just a minute because a real common problem that we have in marriage is trying to understand each other's differences and meeting each other's needs. So here's, here's just a basic thing that we need to understand. If we could meet our own needs, we wouldn't get married. If you were able to meet your own needs, you would have never married your spouse, okay? Or you would never be looking for someone to marry. If I could meet my own needs, I would meet my own needs, I wouldn't get married. But the reason I got married to Karen and the reason she got married to me is we're able to meet needs in each other that we can't meet on our own, okay? So it's very important, but we're very different by God's design. I'm gonna tell you the four basic needs of women and the four basic needs of men. The four basic needs of women, the number one is security. This is a woman's mega need. Uh, Nothing makes a woman feel more secure than a selfless, sacrificial man, husband. Nothing makes a woman feel more insecure than a selfish, detached man. And so women have a very, very strong need for security. I need to make you, and Jesus, of course, meets that on the deepest level, but a husband on, a, on an earthly level. Number two need of a woman is open and honest communication. They want you to open up and give them full answers to their questions. And so your wife says, what'd you do today? Nothing. Where'd you go? Nowhere. Who'd you see? Nobody. What'd they say? Nothing. And so that just frustrates her to death. So when your wife asks you, what did you do today? Here's the answer she wants. At 6.37 this morning, I entered into consciousness. I laid in bed for a little while thinking about my meeting with Bob. I was feeling a little insecure. Actually, I even cried. She loves all that stuff all day long. Just tell, so that's what she wants to hear. And so when I married Karen, uh, she was always interrogating me and asking questions and wanting these answers that I was not gonna give. In fact, I just thought she was nosy. You know, she, I just thought she's, I married the nosiest woman in the world. And so I just, and when you're trying to kill a monster, you don't feed it, you starve it. So I think I'm gonna starve the nosy monster. I'm not giving her all this information. So every night when I came home, it was the interrogation. Where'd you go? Who'd you see? What'd they say? What'd they feel? What'd they think? Here are their ancestors. Like I'm not feeding that nosy monster. I'm not gonna do that. So we just had this tremendous tension in our relationship, but she was normal. She just had the need for that and I just didn't meet that need. Number three need of women is soft, non-sexual affection. They need to be held. They need to be, feel like they're special. Um, number four is leadership. Women do not wanna be dominated. They wanna be treated as an equal, but they want their husband to be the loving initiator of finances, of spirituality, of romance, and the children. They want you to lead. They don't want you to dominate, but they want you to lead in those areas that makes them feel secure. The number, the four needs of men are very different. Number one is honor or respect. Our mega need is to feel respected. Men are very sensitive in their egos. And sometimes women will say something like to their husbands, they'll say, you're just a big baby. We are big babies. That's all we are. We're just the biggest babies in the world. And this big, strong man, you can just give us a look. It'll just send us over the edge. You can say one little word. We're so sensitive. We, we are as sensitive in our egos as women are physically. And sometimes it's hard for women to understand, but this is a legitimate need. Number two need that men have is sex. Most men are more sexual than their wives. Number three is friendship. We wanna be buddies with our wives. We want, we want you to hang out with us. We love being with you. We'd let, rather be with you than anyone else. I'd rather be with Karen than anyone else. I want her to be my buddy, but I don't want to be mothered. I had a mother, I don't want another one. <laughs> I want her to be my friend. Number four need that men have is domestic support. We, we, need, 
we need you to turn our house into a home because we can't do that. And even if you work outside the home, we want you to be domestically centered and turn your heart toward the home. And let me, let me say this to the ladies here because you need to understand this. When men make a bed, we just use one pillow. <laughs> why use two? Why, why cover the entire bed with pillows and foo-foo that it takes 30 minutes to go to bed? See, we, number one, we can't do that. We would never think of anything like that. But we love it when you do it. You have the gift of turning our house into a home. So honor, sex, friendship, domestic support. So when you get married, you marry someone totally different than you. And we begin to tell each other, we're communicating, and I'm telling you what my needs are, and you reject me because you think I'm weird. I thought when I married Karen, honestly, I thought she's the most beautiful woman in the world, and she's the strangest creature that God ever created. And let me tell you why she's strange, because she's not like me, because I am the epicenter of normal. And anyone like me, how could they possibly be normal? This is what we do to each other. And so Karen and I got married. We began to tell each other our needs. I completely rejected all of her needs. I thought she was strange. I thought she was odd. I tried to conform her to be like me. She tried to conform me to be like her. There's the old saying, marriage is about becoming one. The question is, which one? <laughs> and so we reject each other. Listen, here's, here's the way marriage works. You have to meet needs that you don't have. You have to meet needs that you don't even understand. Like when your wife says, can you just hold me? I'm saying, I'm trying to find a reason why I would just hold you. <laughs> I love you, but you know. I, you have to meet a need that you don't have. Listen, the only people who can succeed in marriage are servants. The greatest marriage is two servants in love. The worst marriage is two selfish people in love. And it's just like a restaurant. You just go up to your spouse and say, baby, what's your order today? It doesn't matter if you have that same appetite. It just matters that they do. And they tell you what their needs are and you meet those needs. And that's the way you end up in a win-win relationship because this doesn't sound right, but it's right. If you marry someone normal, they're not like you. That doesn't sound right, but it's right. If you married a normal woman, she's not like you. She has a different set of needs and she's never gonna be happy until you come into her world and meet her needs. If you married a normal man, he's not like you. You've gotta go into his world and meet his needs. And so in marriage, we have to have a servant spirit. Remember my point there was, when communication fails on any level, it affects all the other levels. This is level two of partnership. When you won't accept the fact that my needs are legitimate and meet those needs, it's gonna affect communication on all other levels. And so let me talk about the five keys to successful communication. These are five things that we do in marriage to communicate that tremendously help the process of communication. Number one key is the right tone, having the right tone. I'm gonna say the same thing three times, the same exact words three times, and every time I say this, it's gonna mean something different. Here's number one. Okay, I understand, I'll do it. Here's number two. Okay, I understand, I'll do it. Here's number three. Okay, I understand, I'll do it. Happy, frustrated, angry. I said exactly the same words. It meant something completely different. The right words in the wrong tone are the wrong words. Your tone means everything for two reasons. Number one, tone communicates care. You can tell if someone cares about you by the tone of their voice, if they really care. When you go to a restaurant, when you go to a store, wherever you go, you can tell if somebody cares. It is impossible to communicate with a person who doesn't care. It cannot be done. So if I have the right tone, it tells you I care about you. 
Number two is tone carries an encrypted message, whether you realize it or not. Let me go back to mega needs for just a minute. A woman's mega need is the need for security. When you're talking to your wife, she will decipher the tone in your voice to make her either insecure or secure. Let me give you an example. So you're talking to your wife and you want to have a successful conversation with your wife. And she's asking a question, you're talking about whatever. Regardless of what the conversation is about, regardless of what the words are that are coming from your mouth, here's the tone she needs to pick up on. You're the most important thing in my life and I'll say no to anything else to say yes to you. And if I have to crawl on my knees for 10 miles through cut glass to make sure you're okay, that's my priority, what do you need? When she hears that tone, you're not a distraction to me, you're not a burden to me, whatever I have to do, you're the number one mission that Jesus has given me in this life. When women hear that tone, that's what comforts them and makes them feel secure. The opposite of that is a tone that says, what do you want? You're a distraction, you're a burden. I've got other important things out there. My heart is somewhere else. When you're talking to your husband, his mega need is respect. It's his mega need. And so when you're speaking to your husband, he's not like you. He doesn't need the same tone. Here's the tone that your husband needs to hear. Regardless of what you're talking about, regardless of the words you're speaking, I believe in you. You've got what it takes. You're a good man. I am so glad that I married you. And when he hears those words, that's a man clapping. <laughs> Thank you, by the way. Yeah, I feel this. Let's all join together. Well, it's the truth. And so the tone, the right words and the wrong tone are the wrong words. So you have to begin with the tone of your voice and what that tone is communicating if you're gonna be successful. Number two key is enough time. We have to have enough time to communicate. If you don't have enough time to communicate, it's going to affect your tone. And so I think some of the reason that we use the wrong, wrong tone with each other is we're under so much stress. We don't have enough time. Let me, let me be very specific about this point. I wanna talk about proactive communication time, personal communication time, and intimate communication time. Let me talk about proactive communication time. You need to take three to five days a year to proactively communicate. This is called a vision retreat. Okay, so proactive communication means we're gonna talk before issues come up. It means we're gonna do this in advance. We're gonna take a retreat together, no children, can't take children. You can do this vision retreat in a pop-up trailer, a tent, a hotel, a motel, resort, wherever you wanna go, without children, three to five days, you get alone, the first thing you do on your vision retreat is you dedicate your marriage to God. You surrender your marriage to God. And you say, Lord, this marriage is surrendered to you. We want you to tell us your vision for the next year. Okay. And then you surrender to each other. You can't dominate each other. This has, to be, this has to be a cooperative effort of hearing God and speaking into the marriage. And whenever you surrender your marriage to God and you come into agreement, that's your vision. So we have this a resource. And by the way, we sold out of all of our resources in the foyer after the first service. xomarriage.com is our website. We have this resource called Vision Retreat Guidebook that my wife Karen and I wrote. This helps you to prepare for a vision retreat, to go on the vision retreat and to record everything the Lord speaks to you on your vision retreat. So about 30 years ago or so, um, I was doing marriage conferences at that time. And I knew a pastor, uh, and he was the only person that I knew of that had a marriage better than mine. 
And uh, he told me one day, he said, uh, Evans, my wife and I are going this week on our vision retreat. And I said, what's a vision retreat? And he said, well, we go away for five days every year. We pray about every area of our marriage and we record what we believe that God's saying to us. They had five children and they had an individual vision every year for each of the five children. They just have a vision for their family. They had an individual vision. They had a vision for their finances, a vision for their personal romantic relationship, for their schedule, for their ministry, every area of their marriage. And he said, you and Karen need to do this. It'll help your marriage. So we did. So our first vision retreat, we had a good marriage. I mean, we, you know, Lord has saved our marriage and we were helping other people. We had three areas of our marriage though that we fought sometimes. And one was money. Uh, the other one was our kids. They were teenagers at the time. And the other one was my schedule. I was very, very busy, and Karen didn't feel like she was a partner in my schedule. So we went away. We borrowed some friends' lake house. We went away. If our marriage was here going into that, it was here coming out. Our daughter has been married 27 years. They do a vision retreat every year. Our son's been married 25 years. They do a vision retreat every year. Karen and I have done many, many vision retreats over the year. This is something that will transform your relationship. And so after our first vision retreat, we, did, we, we didn't have any conflict in our relationship for over a year. Not, not a harsh word for over a year. When we began to have an argument one day, we realized we needed another vision retreat. So the reason, the reason you fight is you don't see eye to eye. The reason you don't see eye to eye is you have one vision for the kids, I have another vision for the kids. You have one vision for the money, I have another vision for the money. So when you have a vision retreat, God aligns your headlights so that you're both looking at the same thing. And now Amos 3.3 says, can two people walk together unless they first agree? The answer is no. You're going to be fighting for the entire time because you're not looking at the same thing. So a vision retreat is an opportunity to get away, and God will then give you a common vision for your marriage. It will transform your marriage. Listen, when God gives you a vision, he's also going to give you the provision for that vision. He's going to bless you financially for that vision that he gives you. And so this is proactive communication time, three to five days a year. Let me ask you a question. Okay, would you trade five days a year? Let's just say that you go away. And by the way, when you go on a vision retreat, you spend three or four hours a day praying and talking about vision. The rest of the time, you just have fun. So this is a fun experience. Would you trade five days a year to work on your marriage for 360 days apiece? Wouldn't that be a good trade? Even if you went away five days and it was really hard and maybe you fought some, but you got through it and you came out with a vision, 360 days of peace and intimacy, or would you rather save those five days and have 365 days of fighting and tension? It's one of the best investments that you'll ever make in your marriage is to get away and have a vision retreat. Proactive communication time. Personal communication time, you need to take 30 to 60 minutes a day face-to-face, -face, no telephone, no tablet, no computer, no television, no children, no distractions, face-to-face -face and talk. Now, if you can't do this, you're too busy. You need to cut back in another area. No distractions. So when, Karen, when the Lord saved our marriage and I repented to Karen, um, I realized she wanted to talk. I had never, in our, our entire marriage, I had never one time patiently answered a question that Karen had. I, I wouldn't talk because I thought she was nosy. So I decided one day that I was going to talk to Karen. And I said to her one day, when I get home from work today, we'll eat dinner with the kids spend time with the kids and we'll put the kids to bed. They were little. And I said, we'll spend time with the kids and then I will sit down with you face to face and I'll answer any question you want to ask me for as long as you want to talk. 
And I thought two things. I thought, number one, I'm the greatest man in the history of the world. <laughs> Pretty sure of that. Number two is they're gonna find me dead tomorrow with my brain sucked out. <laughs> the sister will suck my brain out of my head. She cannot wait to get in there. So we put the kids to bed. We went, the, we had a little sitting area in our bedroom. We sit in there face to face and she started talking to me and she, now, cause she always wanted to know my feelings. You know, she didn't want just no thoughts. She wanted feelings. So she, she started asking me questions. After about 10 minutes, she got deep, you know, deep and she said, I want you to tell me what happened when you were a kid and this happened. She knew enough about my past to know something had happened and she wanted to know the whole story. And she said, tell me what happened. And I told her as best I could. And I said, uh, well, this is this, this what happened. And she said, didn't you feel devastated? I said, Karen, I didn't feel anything. And she said, no, you felt devastated, Jimmy. You just don't realize it. So see, she's always telling me what my feelings are. And she's always right. I knew I married Mrs. Wright. I just didn't know her first name was always. And, but she, she said, no, you're devastated. About a week later, I'm having a quiet time. I'm, 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 this is an event that happened in my life that, you know, I just look back on it, you know. And, well, you know I was having a quiet time the next week and the Holy Spirit brought back to me all the devastation of that moment. And he healed me. It, it helped to heal me from that because Karen would say to me, this is why you're so messed up. And so, thank you, honey. And so, <laughs> it was. Talking to Karen healed me emotionally. Because I was so, I was just so, you know, in denial and out of touch with my emotions. And I say this to men, men come emotionally unassembled and talking to your wife is how you get emotionally assembled. Women are masters at emotions. And Karen would always say to me, Jimmy, this, this is the way you should feel. This is the way you feel, whatever. And so talking, so we talked that night a little over an hour and after a little, and I was as honest with her as I knew how to be. And after an hour, she said, great, that's enough. I said, well, Great, thanks. She said, for tonight, we'll do this again tomorrow night. You know, And so talking to Karen Evans is my favorite thing in the world. She'll come, she'll come into my office at home and say, you want to sit on the porch? And we go out on the porch and we'll talk. We go on walks in the mornings and stuff. I love talking to her. I can't believe I was ever afraid of it. Let me say this, but her need of open and honest communication was also my need. I just didn't know it. But it's, how, it's what healed our marriage. I would encourage you, 30 to 60 minutes a day, get alone, no distractions, nothing, face-to-face, and talk about your feelings, talk about your day, talk about whatever. Uh, if you have children, you have to train your children to respect your marriage. If you don't train your children to respect your marriage, you won't have a marriage. And children are wonderful, precious people. Um, they're, they're simple little creatures, really. They only want one thing. If you understand this one simple thing that your children want, you can parent very easily. Your children want to possess your soul. That's, that's all they want. They're precious, they're simple. They want to possess your soul. They want 24 seven access to you without anybody else getting in the way. And they don't care where you are, what you're doing. They don't care about your marriage. They just want 24 seven access. So you have to train your children to respect your marriage. You put your kids to bed at night. You know, they're laying in bed at night. And you, you, they go to the bathroom, get a drink, go to bed, and they're laying there five minutes later. Mommy, Daddy, I've got to go to the bathroom. You just went to the bathroom five minutes ago. Mommy and Daddy, I've got to go to the bathroom. You're wearing a diaper, use it. You got to get tough with those little kids. Got to get tough with them. Mommy, Daddy, there's a monster in my room. Good, you have someone to talk to. Leave us alone. We're crying out loud. So you've got to have face-to-face -face personal time. 
And then intimate communication time, proactive communication time, three to five days a year. Transform your marriage. Personal communication time, 30 to 60 minutes a day, face-to-face, no distraction. Intimate communication time, three to five minutes a day will resurrect a dead marriage. You fell in love because you talked so kindly to each other, affectionately to each other, told each other how much you respected each other, the good you saw in each other, and that's how you fell in love. And so that's why you say in love, is making sure just take a few minutes a day to talk kindly and lovingly to each other. So the right tone, enough time. Number three is an atmosphere of trust. Um, you have to, you're not gonna be able to communicate on a deeper level when you don't have trust. I completely destroyed Karen's trust in me, completely destroyed it. Uh, when our marriage, I went into our bedroom one night um, I golfed all the time, worked all the time. I was selfish, dominant, verbally abusive at times with Karen. And um, now we went to church every Sunday and I read my Bible every morning. I was a jerk, but I was a sanctified jerk. <laughs> and uh, I read my Bible one morning and it was John 16. And Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll lead you into all truth. And it really interested me when I read that verse. I thought, would the Holy Spirit really lead me into all truth? And I went to work that day and I went to play golf and I came home late and Karen was angry at me and with me and she met me at the door and I was in a bad mood and I walked in and she complained about me being, you know, gone all day. And I said, you go get your stuff, you pack it up and get out of this house and you go back to your parents or you, you go somewhere, just get out of here tonight. So she ran into the bedroom crying and I walked into the living room and I just, I didn't know what to do. I didn't, I didn't want her to leave. I didn't know what I would do if she stayed there. We were just in a horrible place. So she was in the bedroom crying and I sat down in the living room and I remembered the scripture from that morning. When the Holy Spirit comes, he'll lead you into all truth. And I prayed this prayer. I said, Holy Spirit, teach me how to be a husband because I don't know. Now, when I prayed that prayer, the instant before I prayed that prayer, I thought my total thinking was, I am Mr. Wonderful, Karen is the problem. The instant after I prayed that prayer is like something fell off of my mine, I thought, I'm the biggest jerk in the world, and I'm married to the most precious woman in the world. And I walked into the bedroom. For the first time, I'd never said I was sorry. I walked in the bedroom, I said, Karen, I am so sorry for all that I've done to you. And she said, your mouth, Jimmy, has killed me. And I said, Karen, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, and I'll change. Our marriage wasn't safe. The, the salvation of our marriage began at night. It was still chilly. I mean, emotionally, we were, I was numb. She was numb. I had devastated her, and so I woke up the next morning, and I was dedicated to changing for the sake of our marriage, and I woke up the next morning, and I said, Holy Spirit, I need you to teach me how to be a husband, and he led me to, he told me, turn to Genesis chapter two. This is the scripture that saved our marriage. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. I read that scripture that morning the Lord told me to turn there and he just kept reading it again, read it again. I kept reading it again. I still didn't understand it. And all of a sudden the Lord showed me the four laws of marriage in those verses. The four laws. This is what saved our marriage. The first law of marriage is the law of priority. For this cause a man will leave his father and mother. Marriage has to be first. It has to be before your parents, your friends, your work, anything else. Number two, it says the man will cleave into his wife. The word cleave means work. It means energy. Marriage is work. It's called the law of pursuit. You have to work at your marriage. Regardless of how long you've been married, you have to pursue each other. Number three, the law of partnership. They too shall become one. No one dominates. No one's the boss. 
We share everything. We're partners in the relationship. Number four is the law of purity. The man and his wife were both naked and unashamed until they sinned. When Adam and Eve sinned, then they no longer could be naked before each other. They had to hide from each other. The law of priority, the law of pursuit, the law of partnership, the law of purity. Let me just tell you how simple marriage is. It has to be first. You have to work at it. You have to share and you have to be careful. That's as complicated as marriage is. And so the Lord showed me that scripture. Some people would say, well, Jimmy, that's not for us. That was for Adam and Eve. We absolutely know that that scripture was not just for Adam and Eve. Let me tell you how we know. Because Adam and Eve didn't have a mother. When it says a man will leave his mother and father, they didn't have mothers. Adam and Eve were the only two people in world history that didn't have mothers. And so this scripture is what God spoke over marriage for all time. So here's what I'm asking you. Is your marriage first? If it's not, your spouse feels violated. Are you working at your relationship? Are you working to meet their needs? Are you working at the marriage? Are you sharing with them? Because dominance ruins marriages. I know this from personal experience. Are you careful in what you say and what you do? And when you do something wrong, do you take responsibility for it? If you obey the four laws of marriage, your marriage is gonna thrive. If you violate them, your spouse is not gonna trust you. You're gonna violate their trust. So I woke up that morning. I said, Holy Spirit, teach me how to be a husband. He took me to Genesis 2. I read it and I realized I have broken every law every day. There has not been one day of our marriage I haven't broken all four of those laws. And that morning I made a commitment and I just said, my marriage is first, I'm gonna work at it. I'm gonna start treating Karen as an equal and I'm gonna be careful how I act. After about three weeks of doing that, Karen and I were enjoying each other again. We were laughing. I remember the first time one of us laughed and I thought to myself, I don't think there's been laughter in this home in months or years. I can't remember when anybody laughed. After several months of doing that, we were deeply in love and we have never been back to that bad place in our relationship. The four laws of marriage is what saved our marriage and restored the trust in our relationship. And one day we were talking about something and Karen said something very, very personal, very personal. And um, it shocked me when she said it. And I said, Karen, I don't think I've ever heard you say anything like that before. How long have you been thinking that? She said, years. And I said, then why didn't you say something? She said, I didn't trust you, Jimmy. I didn't know my own wife. I, had, I didn't know my own wife. Lived in the same house with her, didn't know her because she would not open the drapes because she didn't trust me. And so if you violated your spouse's trust, repent to them. Follow the four laws of marriage. I promise you can rebuild that trust. And here's the old saying, trust is earned in drops, it's lost in buckets. And just one irresponsible word, one irresponsible act, you can lose a lot of trust, but you can gain it back. But you have to be consistent. So an atmosphere of trust. Number four, the truth spoken in love. I'm almost finished. I wanna talk about conflict resolution for just a minute. Ephesians 4.15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Speaking the truth in love. Truth without love is mean. You can destroy a person with the truth. But love without truth is meaningless. People need truth also. But love and truth together are medicine. This is how your relationship heals and grows. Here's a couple of things to do to make your conflict resolution a lot easier impossible. The first thing is you have to give your spouse the right to complain without paying a price. Now, a lot of the tension that happens in marriage is because we feel defensive, we feel threatened by our spouse. I went to a men's retreat one time. I was in my early 20s 
and there was a speaker speaking, and uh, he said, this is all to men, and he said, every man needs to sit down with his wife and say to her, tell me what's wrong with me, and I won't defend myself. And I thought, that's the dumbest man I've ever heard in my life. He should not have a microphone, be talking to other men like that. If I ask Karen what was wrong with me, she can't wait to answer that question. And uh, let me fast forward 50 years of marriage. Um, that man was right. Uh, and I have, we have a little code language that Karen and I have to, after 50 years of marriage, you kind of learn, learn the code. And my code language to Karen is, are you okay? And I'll say to her pretty regularly, are you okay? And are you okay just simply means this. If there's anything not okay, every, all of my life is on hold until you're okay. You're the main thing. And if there's anything I need to do to make your life okay, you tell me and I'll make it okay. And she'll say, no, I'm fine. Or she'll say, yeah, I need you to do this and this. If you're threatened by your spouse telling you something is wrong. See, when you don't let your spouse complain, the problems don't go away, they accumulate. And so what you need to say to your spouse is, if I'm doing something that violates you, if I'm doing something that bothers you, I want you to tell me. I'm not saying I'll agree with you the whole time, but I want you to feel free to come to me and tell me, and we'll talk it out. Okay, here's the number two thing that help you to resolve conflict. Complain and don't criticize. When, I, when I'm inviting you to complain, I'm not inviting you to criticize. And let me tell you the difference between complaining and criticizing, and this is a big deal. Complaining is this. So let's just say I say to Karen, you know, Karen, this morning in the kitchen, you said this to me. I have no idea what you meant by it, but can I tell you how it made me feel? When you said that, it made me feel like you weren't over what happened yesterday and you were trying to pay me back. I'm not saying that this is what happened. I have no idea what you meant. You probably didn't mean anything by it. But when it happened, it kind of made me think that maybe you were still bothered about yesterday. And if you are, I want to talk about it. Okay, but I'm not accusing you of anything. That's complaining. I'm not, I'm not accusing you. I'm not talking about you. I'm just talking about me and my feelings. That's healthy. Here's what criticism sounds like. And this is the wrong thing. So I say, Karen, uh, this morning we were in the kitchen and you said that to me. Uh, and I know why you said it, because you're evil like your mother. <laughs> and you're trying to get back at me. So you're vindictive just like her. You're evil just like her. And the judge and jury met. We've decided that you're guilty. And if you go ahead and confess, we'll go easy on you. Everybody hates that. You're, you're telling me what I meant by what I said. You're telling me that I'm wrong and I'm evil. And the only thing I can do is admit it. We are. That's criticism. You can't do that. And so here's, here's what will make conflict resolution 1,000 times better in your relationship. Invite it. And when you're complaining, make it about you, not about them. Don't attack them. Let, them. let them come back and say, honey, I forgot all about yesterday. I didn't even mean, yeah, great. And you talk it out and walk, walk off. But you have to be committed to letting each other talk and resolving conflict and don't let that accumulate in your relationship. One more thing, and I'm finished. This is number five. The right tone, enough time, creating an atmosphere of trust, speaking the truth in love, and then a team spirit. A team spirit just means we're very different people and we make a great team. Now, if a football game started and 11 quarterbacks ran on the field, there'd be something wrong. And so the old saying is, if both of you are the same, one of you is unnecessary. Well, you're different by God's design. We're very, very different because we play different positions in the marriage. You can either reject your spouse's differences or you can celebrate them. 
but you need to celebrate them because we're very different by God's design. There is a deal called Clifton Strength Finder, and there are 32 strengths in a marriage, and this, this measures your top five. And I wrote a book on Clifton Strength Finders, but uh, Karen and I took the test. Karen's, my number one strength is achiever. That's Karen's number 32. Karen's number one strength is empathy. That's my number 32. So in our family, I'm the doer, Karen's the feeler. She feels for both of us. She tells us how we're feeling. And then, then I'm the doer. Uh, I'm the lifter. You know, I'm, I do all the chores around the family. Karen's the finder. I, I thank God that I have her to tell me how I'm feeling, but also to find stuff. I was at the refrigerator one day and I was looking for some Tabasco sauce. And I was looking for a really long time uh, because I didn't want the lecture that I knew would come if I <laughs> couldn't find it. And I stood there for, you know, five minutes at least, studying every shelf. And finally, I turned to her and I said, Karen, we're out of Tabasco sauce. She said, Jimmy, it's on the door. I said, it's not on the door, Karen. I've been over here for five minutes and it's not on the door. And so she's over here and she gets up from where she is. I have the door open. She walks over just like this, reaches in, grabs it and does this. And I said, that's witchcraft and I'm telling Jesus. <laughs> Unbelievable how that woman can make things appear out of nowhere but I'm glad I'm married to her. I want you to take the hand of your spouse there. Anybody thankful for marriage? You married the right person. If you're single or divorced here, I wanna pray for you too, that the Lord will bring you the perfect person that he wants for you and that you want. Lord, I pray your blessing over every couple here. Communication is something, Lord, that we struggle with, but it's also something that's essential in our relationships. I pray that you will heal all of us from the wounds that we have experienced because of the words that we've spoken to each other. Just heal our minds, heal our hearts, heal our marriages. Lord, we just repent for using our words in a bad way to do bad things. We've all done it. Using our words to punish, using maybe even the lack of words to punish. And we just pray, Lord, I just pray right now supernaturally heal our marriages. Give us the grace to change. We need to change. Maybe sometimes even the way we grew up needs to be broken over our lives so that we're not just in the ruts of our past, but we can fulfill the destiny that you have for us as a couple. But Lord, I bless these marriages. I bless every part of the marriage. Heal their hearts, restore their love, give them hope for the future. And I pray for every single and divorced person here, Lord, give them hope. And if they have hurts from the past, I pray that you would heal their hurts and give them hope for a future of being married. And Lord, we just pray supernaturally that you'll bring their spouse to them. Even if they're on the other side of the world, bring their spouse to them, the person, Lord, that would fulfill your destiny and their dreams. I bless these people, this wonderful church, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Great to be with you. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and leave us a review. It helps this podcast reach even more people. Free Chapel can now be your home church no matter where you live with Free Chapel Online. Watch weekly messages from wherever you are with your family and friends, join online small groups, volunteer, and more. Plus, there's weekly content for youth and kids. Join today by downloading the Free Chapel app or head over to freechapel.org online.
And a special thanks to those who give generously to help us produce weekly content like this to reach the world with the message of Jesus. If you'd like to partner with us, you can give by clicking the link in the description or on our website and app. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.